You're listening to the Shifting Our Schools podcast with our host, Jeff Utick. Did you know the Shifting Schools team responds to the requests of listeners like you? The content we share, the questions we ask, the resources we build are inspired by the hundreds of emails, tweets, and Facebook messages we get each month. Do you have a topic or resource you'd love to hear Jeff explore? Head over to our show notes to learn more about ways to be heard. Now, on with the show. Hi, and welcome back to the Shifting Our Schools podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman, and I will be sitting in for Jeff Udick for the next few weeks. Over the next four episodes, we are going to share with you four different interviews with educator authors. These conversations correspond with yet another of our free guides that you can find over at shiftingschools.com. When you hit the resources tab, you will find our library of free guides. And the guide that corresponds with this episode, as well as the next three, is called Fostering Community with Teacher Book Groups. We know that this is the time of year when educators are often thinking about the books that they might like to read as a community experience. So we have brought together a few authors with some very relevant reads. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Okay, so we are really, really fortunate that we have Alex Venet, professional development provider, in-service teacher, instructor, community facilitator with Edutopia. Uh, Alex is at Alex S. Venet, that's A-L-E-X-S-V-E-N-E-T on Twitter. Um, and she is also the author of the new book, Equity-Centered Trauma-Informed Education. You can learn more about her and the services that she provides on her website, which is unconditionallearning.org. We're going to be sure to include that link as well as the link to her Twitter profile in our show notes. And I will also say as part of your introduction, Alex, that you are apparently a member of the Vermont 251 Club. <laughs> yes. um, and, and I'm wondering if you want to... Um, I'm just curious, like how long it actually took you to become a member of that club. Uh, so I don't know if you want to talk to that at all. Yes. So the Vermont 251 Club is a very loose organization of people who are in the process of visiting all 251 cities and towns in the state of Vermont. And so I'm a member, which doesn't mean I finish. So we are up to about town... 90, I want to say. Okay. Um, and we've been at it for a couple of years. The great thing about the club is there's no rules and there's no timeline, uh, but it's a, it's a really fun goal to be working toward. And I'm hoping in a couple of years, we'll make it all the way to 251. It's a lot of fun, uh, you know, driving around back roads in Vermont, seeing the beautiful mm -hmm. towns, meeting people when you stop and pop into the general store. It's, it's about as quaint and charming as it sounds. <laughs> well, I'm just curious now too, because I feel like it is such a cool idea. And I am wondering like how many other states um, have a project like that. So it, it, you got me curious in including that. And I might do a little more research and finding out um, who else has something like that. Cause it's a really, I think it's a great way to get people curious about um, about a place and just that explorer mindset is really an interesting thing, I think, to sort of provoke. 
Yeah, absolutely. So Alex, thank you so much for, for giving up some time to discuss your work. Um, I'd actually like to start with just reading a, a quick little part of um, a book review. This is from the Human Restoration Project. And again, I'll be sure to link to that so folks can read the full review. Um, but I just kind of wanted to quote part of it. So quote, the statistics presented are startling. Almost half of children experience a potentially traumatic event before, before turning 18, which is higher for children of color and students with disabilities. Bennett calls upon the reader to establish spaces that are safer, both emotionally and psychologically through relationship building, unconditional acceptance, a supportive community, and changes to policy to prevent trauma from occurring in the first place. Uh, and I know that phrase that's there in that re that review, unconditional acceptance. Um, I believe that you offer on your website of services. You've got a keynote that also digs into that a little bit further. And it, you know, it's interesting because I think, of course, schools should be spaces where we have unconditional acceptance. But it also kind of interests me that. It's a phrase that's not one that I've heard used to describe schools all that often. Um, and, and so I'm just sort of dealing with the disconnect of, yeah, that is of course what learners need, um, but it, it's almost jarring to me that I've not heard it described that way uh, that often. Um, so unconditional acceptance, which is a, another way of putting the, the full name of the concept that I talk about in the book is unconditional positive regard. And it's something that comes out of the, the kind of humanist psychology thinker, Carl Rogers, in the middle of the last century. He talked about unconditional positive regard as sort of the key aspect of the client therapist relationship. Um, and he talked about it a little bit in the context of education. And then I also draw on um, Alfie Cohn is an education author with a great essay about unconditional teaching. And so I sort of pick up where, where they have started the conversation. And what I like about this idea of unconditional positive regard or unconditional acceptance is that it talks about the kind of relationship that we should be trying to have with our students. Because I think every teacher knows, or at least hears a billion times a year, build relationships, build relationships, build relationships. But I don't think we actually talk that often about what those relationships should look like. And even when we say something like, care about your students, love your students, um, even that to me can be a little vague almost. And so unconditional acceptance is the idea that you care about students no matter what, and that your care is not contingent on what they accomplish or their behavior or really any other factor. And so I talk about in the book what that looks like and sort of this idea that when you ground yourself in that unconditional positive regard, you're really pushing back against a system that in a lot of places is very conditional, right? How we label students, how we sort them, how we uh, you know, assign their value based on what they achieve you know, the awards that they get or the recognition is so conditional in a lot of schools that even though unconditional acceptance can sound very like, oh yeah, of course I want to do that. In practice, it's actually very different than what a lot of schools are offering. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's really interesting that you bring that up in the same, you know, response that you also reference Alfie Cohn, because he has this great post about, uh, you know, like end of year school awards. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to misquote him here, but he says something along the lines of, you know, award ceremonies at schools are, you know, it's something that makes 10 kids feel good about themselves and 350 other kids feel pretty terrible about themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and again, it, it really, it's a great post because it, it does get us thinking a lot about what do we award and why and how, you know, in, in what ways are schools actually sort of a mirror for students in terms of telling them, here's what we think of you. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. why I think it's so important in your book. Uh, on page 43, there's this quote, trauma is a lens, not a label. Uh, and, you know, it's just such a powerful phrase. And I, I, you know, I think anybody who is on Twitter or is on teacher Twitter this summer is probably seeing just like post after post of your book and, you know, why <laughs> it's such an important text. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing your feed looks that way. It certainly <laughs> does to me too. Uh, and that's why, you know, we, we wanted to chat with you because we think for, for teachers or school leaders who are thinking right now, what are some of the book groups that uh, we might want to make sure that we have at the start of the 2021-22 academic year? This is a great one. Uh, and so for anybody who is not maybe on teacher Twitter and is saying, oh, wait, uh, I, I haven't heard about this book yet. I'm wondering if you might give us sort of the, you know, just in a nutshell, what is this book? Who's it for? And why is it important for teachers right now? So to understand what this book is and who's it for, let me tell you about where it came from. So this book is actually the first in a new series from W.W. Norton, the publisher. Um, And the series is edited by Paul Gorski and Cheryl Matias, who are two amazing scholars focusing on equity. And Paul Gorski had been um, tweeting about the call for proposals, you know, hey, who wants to write a book in this series? And uh, part of his call was he wanted to dig into some of those, he calls them shiny new things in education Mm. um, and really unpack them through an equity lens. He wanted authors who could do that. And one of the topics that he listed as a potential was trauma-informed education. And I had heard Paul in the past sort of bring a really critical lens to trauma-informed education. And you could probably, he has a couple articles to that effect that you might put in the show notes. And, um, And I had seen those critiques and I saw this ask and I said, I think I can write that book. (laughs) I think I can write that book because I have sort of a love slash a critical accountability relationship with trauma-informed education. Um, I've been engaged with trauma-informed education for a long time, and I see the really great potential in it. And I also see the places where it can become just another one of those shiny new things that actually ends up not really doing much for kids or at worst being kind of harmful. And so what the book is really is unpacking trauma-informed education through this equity lens. And what I try to make the case for is that equity and trauma-informed work are truly part of the same overall approach to justice and education. And I 
go through some of the potential missteps that we can make when implementing trauma-informed education. And I talk about how when we ground our work in equity and justice, we avoid those missteps and it can really be a pretty transformational approach. Who this book is for, you know, I've heard from a lot of different teachers who are reading it already and really it's a pretty wide range of folks with experience in trauma-informed education or who had not, not really engaged with trauma-informed education at all before, so you don't have to have a prior knowledge. But I think especially if your school has been talking the talk about trauma-informed education, but you don't actually feel like much is changing on the ground, uh, this book is for you. If you are kind of interested in trauma-informed education, or you just really care about this idea that we've all gone through trauma and we should do something about it. And you're not really quite sure where to start. This book is for you as well. And I, I really love that, you know, piece really, I, I think of like intellectual humility that you're referencing there, that idea that whenever we are going about something new in education, inevitably there will be some missteps and inevitably it's often hard to find that starting point. You know, I, I think Teachers hold themselves to a really high standard. And I just love that transparency of whenever we're adopting new practice or, you know, whenever we're even just having a newfound awareness um, that, you know, we're, we're bringing into our practice that, of course, it's tricky because, you know, so much of what you're talking about is really unfamiliar to us from a, a learner stance, or at least that's been my experience. I certainly feel like I did not go up, you know, grow up in a, a trauma-informed uh, learning environment and, and really don't feel like any other practitioners I know did either. Um, so I think just that it's not necessarily, you know, just because you say you want to do it, therefore it gets done. Uh, you know, I think sometimes when uh, in educational practice, uh, there's sort of, you know, I love that uh, you referenced that idea of the shiny new thing. I think there's often so much pressure on teachers to, hey, here's this new thing. We also want to make sure we do it, but we have to address, as you say, those, you know, those potential missteps or, or pitfalls. I think if we pretend they don't exist, um, then our work really kind of, it's in like a little vacuum or a silo where we're not talking to each other about better ways of, of engaging with it. Exactly. Um, and I, I also really try to, in the book, push against the idea that there is a perfect or right way to do this, or there's a checklist or there's a curriculum and really trying to ground the work instead in some principles and some sort of hopes and goals about what education can be. And so similarly, you know, if, if you're a teacher and you're there's a new curriculum coming down about trauma-informed education, or there's a you know, five things you have to do in your classroom, but you are kind of like, well, how does this all really do anything? <laughs> you know, you know, I, I think that in part, I write this, I wrote this book for the trauma-informed skeptics. Um, and I hope that folks walk away with a little, you know, better understanding of how it fits into that overall big picture of equity in the classroom. That's fantastic. And I wonder if, you know, now that you're, you know, you're hearing back from folks who have engaged with your work, um, if, you know, it's prompted you at all to do some reflection on that process, you know, the research process and when the book was coming together. So, you know, like when you look back now, 
Is there anything from that research process that, you know, sticks with you and you think might continue to stick with you for the foreseeable future? Hmm. You know, researching this book was fun in such a nerdy way um, because I, you know, when you get interested in something, it's fun to just devote all your all your free time to reading everything you can about it. Um, but something I was struck by in that research process was how many how many fields of study are in conversation about trauma in schools, but not always pulled together in a way that teachers can see that conversation. So for example, uh, there's a couple of great critiques from the social work field or the mental health treatment field about trauma-informed practice and some of its potential pitfalls. Uh, And those pieces were not citing or referenced in another piece I found from an education researcher sort of looking at some of those pitfalls. And uh, those pieces are not in conversation with um, some some things from the field of trauma studies about uh, sort of the whitewashing of trauma studies and the need for bringing in social and political factors. And so it was just really interesting looking at how all of these things can really be pulled together um, because you know, I think sometimes in education, our lens can be narrow in part because we don't have a lot of time, right? And so we want stuff that is written for educators, often by educators, things we can try to take and implement. But when you look at trauma, it's such a complex topic. And there are so many fields that contribute to how we understand trauma. And part of what I wanted to do was really go beyond the same two or three frames of reference that are often used when we talk about trauma in schools and and bring in some other things. So the complexity of all of it is what struck me and and really just that lens of being a lifelong learner and never coming to a place where I feel like I am the expert or I know everything because there is always another perspective that you can learn. Mm, you know, and that it reminds me what you're saying there. Uh, it reminds me so much of a, a post that you put up on your 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 blog, unconditionallearning.org. So sorry, I'm going to do that odd thing of quoting you back to you. If you'll bear with me for a second, um, you said, "quote Recognize that things have changed. Our adaptations helped us survive a pandemic, but survival isn't the whole story." We might feel we learn lessons or new skills. We might be worse for wear. We carry grief and trauma from the act of surviving and the fact that so many did did not. Adaptations to stress can permanently shift how we interact with the world. Don't expect yourself or your students to have the same patterns or personality that we did before, end quote. And, you know, what, what you were talking about reminds me of how often trauma is portrayed in media as... I got through this thing and now I'm back to the person I was before. Mm-hmm. I just, I go through this horrible thing, but the moment of winning is when it's old me again. Um, and, and your post, you know, and, and your work is sort of, I, I think a, a really interesting reframe of it's, it's not always about quote unquote return to normal. 
um, and that having that expectation for ourselves or our students is, uh, you know, indeed can be quite harmful. Right. And there's no, you know, the redemption narrative that we see in the media sometimes, like you mentioned, it just doesn't happen that way 99% of the time in life. And there's a story I talk about in the book of working with a student who really hated me when we first started working together and would put her headphones in and throw some really unkind names at me when. I walked in the room and wouldn't talk to me. And I talk about really putting in the work over several months to get to a place with her where she was willing to pick up some of the academic work that I had for her. And the story does not end with her going, oh, you know what, Alex, you were there for me all along. You changed my life. Now I know how to face my future, right? Like that didn't happen. Um, She just learned to tolerate me instead of hate me. And we got some English work done. Right. And, and the majority of the time in schools, that's what we're going to see, right. We're going to see some small shifts rather than um, I turned this kid's whole life around and now things are going amazing for them. We just don't have that kind of power in other people's lives. And we shouldn't try to expect that that kind of thing happens. And so it really is that reframe of seeing that we're all on a journey when it comes to trauma and that we all have a role to play, but that we just kind of have to shake off some of those big expectations and instead just like sit in the pain of it all a little more and kind of tolerate that it's going to be messy. And I love that you bring up that reframe. It's actually the perfect segue to my next question. Uh, you know, again, we think and we know your, your book is a great, you know, sort of book club book for, for educators. Uh, and I believe quite strongly the best book group books are ones that leave us with questions that, you know, they're not always easy to answer. There, there is some nuance. And I know that your book's going to leave us with, with great questions. You sort of, um, you know, you, you just sort of pointed towards one of them, which is, you know, to what extent have, have many of us in education maybe been a little bit biased by this narrative of the, the teacher savior that, you know, um, that that's our job to, you know, heroically transform students in a way that, you know, I, I think, again, you're, you mentioned is not always possible and is not always the point. And I'm wondering, um, what are a few questions that you hope some of your readers will be left with that they might not necessarily have a, a you know, a, a so-called right answer for, but that when they leave your book, uh, you would hope they're, they're grappling with, or they're just continuing to discuss. So many questions. And I, <laughs> you know, I probably ask more questions than I answer throughout the text of the book. So I hope people will pick up some of those, Mm -hmm. those questions from the text and grapple with them. You know, one big question that I ask in, in one of the chapters is how is trauma present in my school? And that's one that I, if I had one wish for book clubs, it's that that is the question that people are really taking up to start with because I really believe that answering that will create a little bit of a roadmap for people of where to start. Because if you can see and name and acknowledge how trauma is present in school, how school creates trauma, 
the ghosts of trauma that live on in the school today, I think that that leads you right to some of your action steps about what do we need to address? What do we need to make right? What do we need to shift as we go forward? So I think that's one big question I hope people will engage with. Another question that I think folks will be left with and is one that I struggle with often is how do I navigate the systems change with the individual change? And I talk about those layers throughout the book and I offer some different strategies or starting points, but it is really a complicated question. And a lot of times we end up really stuck because of that, you know, the big system stuff that needs to be fixed that we sometimes don't feel we have influence over. And I know in my own personal, you know, change-making journey, I'm really trying to learn a lot about community organizing lately and look to, you know, community organizers in my town and in places where I'm doing work to understand more about how systems change happens. And I hope people will, will take up some of that curiosity about how we can not try to reinvent the wheel, but look at folks who have been doing that kind of systems change work and say, how could I as a teacher fit into this? And, you know, I, I, I kind of, again, thank you for just making the perfect segue into the next question, <laughs> uh, because that sounds very much uh, closely related to one of the keynote talks that you offer for conferences, events, um, boundaries, and role clarity for trauma-informed mm. teachers. Uh, is is one of of several that you offer, and I I think again you know I just I think that the media has so frequently gotten uh, you know what educators do wrong. I, I don't know if that's your your feeling too, but I feel like most <laughs> uh, most films or TV shows that try to portray school, it's either the teacher is completely incompetent, or you know again they are the godlike savior figure who just smiles and then makes everybody's world a little bit better. Um, and obviously, both of those portrayals are harmful in their own way. And I'm guessing, Alex, that you know, folks will engage with your work. Uh, I know that you've got some summer opportunities that have been ongoing for folks. I think it's really interesting as well that you have sort of the in-time offering as well as the newsletter-based PD. I think that's a really interesting model. And I'm wondering if moving into September and beyond, uh, there's anything else, you know, that you're just sort of brainstorming about or that, you know, uh, is coming that would be great for other schools to know, hey, let's let's watch out for this. Yeah, so typically I offer kind of open registration webinars about once a month, and I post about those on my website and on Twitter and those are kind of rotating topics, you know, different things that are coming up or uh, relevant to the time of year connected to trauma-informed education. And I started doing those during the pandemic, but I'm going to continue those as we go forward because they've really provided just a great way for folks to connect from all over. And I always offer them as a pay-what-you-can model, and so they're pretty accessible so folks can always keep an eye out for those. And then I will also be sharing details. 
at some point in the coming months about the next iteration of the Nurturing the Nurturers Collective. So this is a group that was formed over the last year with some colleagues of mine, and we co-facilitated a, we call it a healing community for educators, where we met once a month via Zoom and basically just held space for educators to process the trauma of teaching through this school year. And it was a really beautiful space, some really great conversations. We would kind of ground in some different texts and prompts and have wonderful small group discussions. This summer we are doing, as you mentioned, a sort of PD by email experience so people don't have to be on Zoom and don't have to be on the computer. Um, and the next iteration we're still planning but basically what we try to offer as a collective is just to create space and create opportunities for educators to tend to themselves and each other because it's a really deeply held belief of, of mine. And I talk about this in the book as well, that teachers are not some kind of mythical, um, you know, like this narrative we've been saying, it's not some mythical thing where when you become a teacher, your emotional needs suddenly go away and you suddenly become a fully realized emotional being with no pain, right? Like you're, you're a person, you're just a person, but you're a person also doing caring work. And when you do caring work, you need to be cared for as well. And so that, that collective and working with those colleagues right now is the thing I'm feeling most passionate about. And we will definitely have some new things in the works for this fall. So stay tuned. That sounds fantastic. And I, I think, you know, if we, if we took away anything from the pandemic, I think our, our need for that or need for more of that um, is something that at least, you know, I, I will say for myself has been very much on the, the sort of forefront of, of what I've been thinking about. You're right. You know, so much of the emotional labor that educators are expected, um, you know, and, and is very much part of the job, you know, to what extent are we building our capacity to be able to do it in a way that doesn't, um, you know, put us in a position where we're so drained, uh, where we're not going to be able to, to be there to support students. Um, I, I think that's, that's going to be fantastic. I'll, I'll certainly be looking out for that. Um, now, Alex, you know, part of why we wanted to have you on is, you know, again, we know that listeners will be thinking, okay, what are some great books uh, for, for, myself and my colleagues to gather around to discuss. We very much think that your book is one of those books um, that makes for a great PLC gathering for doing that community building and looking at issues that very much deserve our attention. But we also wanted this podcast episode to be a resource for teachers who, you know, if they are proposing, this is a great book for our, our PLC community we wanted to give them a resource that does some of that heavy lifting because we know that when teachers have recommendations, they're building admin also, you know, they need to be informed in terms of, okay, tell me more, sell me a little bit on, um, you know, why this text is, <clears throat> is one that we should be investing in. And I'm wondering from your perspective as the author, if we are not engaging in conversations around the issues and ideas in your book, what are some of the stakes? Um, you know, what what do we miss out on when we're not when we're not doing these these not doing the dialogue really um, around the issues in your book? 
Mm. What are some of the opportunities that we might miss out on? So one of the key connections between equity and trauma-informed education is that a lack of equity in schools can cause trauma and and that trauma can really happen inside of schools. And I think that this is a really urgent topic for educators because especially with the pandemic and a lot of kids being out of the physical buildings, I have heard so many teachers talk about, oh, kids experienced trauma during the pandemic. They were out of school. They weren't in school. School is such a safe place. We need to get them back in school. And I think that there are truths to that perspective. And a lot of kids find school traumatic. And when you face inequity at school, whether that's you can't access the classes that you want to access, or you are treated inequitably by teachers, or you are harassed by peers, or all the different ways inequity can show up, school can be a place that is stressful and that makes you feel unsafe and that ultimately can cause trauma. And so there are very real stakes anytime that kids walk in any school building because they could be walking into a class uh, or, a, or a building that is a warm and loving and caring place or that is a hellish nightmare, right? And, and when you talk to adults, Um, and they look back at their time at school, you will hear people talk about either of those experiences and and we carry those with us really strongly. And so as we're coming back from, I shouldn't even say coming back, right? As we are entering this new phase of life uh, after this school year that was very unpredictable in a lot of ways, we have the opportunity to really be intentional about what students are experiencing in school and creating a a better version of what we were doing or creating something new. And so I really think, you know, the, the stakes could not be higher and it is really urgent anytime to have these conversations. But I think especially now to say, we have the chance here to be intentional and mindful about what we're creating. So let's do that with trauma in mind uh, as we go into this fall. Yeah. I mean, what you said about it's, this is always an issue, right? You know, school, even for many teachers was not necessarily a positive experience. Uh, You have me thinking about a few years ago uh, for Audible subscribers, they did this this series that was free with your subscription called What Were They Thinking? And um, it's all about the teenage brain and the neuroscience behind it. And, uh, you know, the the fact that, you know, highs are higher for teens and they're lower for teens, that their sense of emotional regulation is much, much different uh, than it is for the adult brain. And when we think about what we know about neuroscience and the teenage brain, and then we really think about the, the past few years and the coming academic year, I I think a book like yours is going to offer us um, some really important frameworks. It's going to start some really important conversations about the ways that, yes, we have always needed to do a better job of this. But right now, when we think about what some of the emotional lows might have been uh, for for some students, as well as for, for members of staff, for school leadership, 
that, that healing uh, and that sort of addressing and having more authentic conversations about this is so needed. Uh, and I'm so thankful that, um, you know, you're, you shared this book with the world, that it's, it's getting great attention, at least uh, to me, it seems that way. Hopefully it seems that way to you as well. Yes, so I've been very grateful for the reception and I'm really looking forward to talking with educators in the fall who are reading this at their school. Great. Thank you again, Alex, so much for your time today. Uh, listeners, we will be sure to include all of the links, the resources that you heard us discuss in the show notes. For the final word on this episode, Alex has agreed to give us a short reading from her book. So if our conversation today has you curious about picking up your copy, I think her brief reading here is only going to entice you even more. Enjoy. So this is Alex Finette reading from page 174 of Equity-Centered Trauma-Informed Education. When we encourage students to investigate the injustices they see in the world around them, rich opportunities for connections in every curricular area abound. The tools we teach in science, math, social studies, and language can all be used in the service of justice. Dedicating class time to these projects helps position teachers alongside our students as co-conspirators against forces of harm and oppression. If you feel you can't deviate from your school's scripted curriculum enough to do big units or projects, you can still find ways to foster student critical engagement within the curriculum. If you are required to teach from an outdated textbook that perpetuates whitewashed history, supplement it with a paired text. There are resources on hundreds of topics available from the organization Learning for Justice and the Zen Education Project. Teach students how to ask and answer such questions as, whose perspective is represented in this and whose voice is missing? When I read informational texts with my students, I ask them what sources were used and what sources could the author have used but chose not to. Help your students see not only what's on the page or in the video, but also what's left out. You can also engage students as critical thinkers about the very notion of how curricula are built. Take a few moments each week to discuss what was in the curriculum that week and why students think the curriculum authors included it. Often trauma-affected children learn not to trust themselves and their ideas because adults try to silence their voices. Teaching students to cultivate their own curiosity and critical perspective can help them regain trust in their inner voice. These are real world skills that will serve students throughout their lives. It's ironic because I sometimes hear comments from teachers usually griping about student misbehavior, that we should emulate the real world within our schools. What teachers usually mean by this is that we should enact harsh behavioral consequences or deny students flexibility because in the real world, employers and the criminal justice system are unforgiving. These comments are problematic for many reasons, but I most take issue with the implication that students are somehow not living in a real world. If we see our students as full humans, we also see their worlds as real. We must make space for our students to make sense of their worlds in our classrooms. This is how we can move from discussions about what students need in the real world to how we can work together to create a better world. 
Thank you again to today's special guest, author and educator, Alex Finette. If you are ready to pick up your copy of Equity-Centered Trauma-Informed Education, you can find a link to learn more about that book in the show notes. Did this week's story inspire you? Are you looking for a conversation on a specific topic? Reach out to the Shifting Schools team through any of our social media channels linked in our show notes. Shifting Our Schools podcast is a proud production of the Shifting Schools team. For more resources to support you in shifting your school, be sure to explore our collection of free ready-to-roll guides available at shiftingschools.com.